What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 58th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good, dude. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I see you're wearing your A24 hoodie. I am. I spilled coffee on it this morning and then had to put it in the wash. And uh, then I lost the string in the hood, inside the hood. So you just watched me for about five minutes uh, deal with that. So It's that like was... watching an art film, you know? Um, it is a uh, snowmageddon out here in Toronto. It thank sure you for, is. Thank you for making your way down. You know, I, I got here, or at least I was on my way out as it was happening, and it wasn't even in Durham yet, so... Oh, no? No, it wasn't? No, yeah. I, around, I'd say, maybe Pickering Scarborough was where it started to, like, be noticeable, and you could actually see, you know, the beginning of the storm. Yes, sort of we have a snowfall in. warning here today. It is a blizzard out, and we're having a board game night tonight. <laughs> who knows who will actually show up, but... um. Is this our first one in the new year? No, we did a podcast. Right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. this is 58, Matt. Yeah, this is 58. Uh, if you guys didn't read the title of this episode, this is a very special episode. We're doing our top 20 most anticipated films of 2020. Uh, Eric and I uh, did this last year with our 19 most anticipated films of 2019. Uh, we should actually look back on that list maybe at, at the beginning before we get into our... Um, uh, sure, I know we had Parasite on that list, did, so I'm happy. So we made some good choices. And Motherless um, Brooklyn. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. If you guys didn't know, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each week, Eric and I, well, mostly each week, right. Eric and I get together and it's January. Uh, shoot the shit about movies and our lives and what's going on and uh, and what's going on in the entertainment world, trailers, all that jazz. Um, you guys should go listen to the 57th draft where Eric and I um, talked about the Oscar nominations. We talked about uh, Christian Bale possibly being in Thor Love and Thunder. We talked about Taika Waititi possibly directing a Star Wars movie. We talked about Colin Trevorrow's leaked Star Wars script. There's a ton of crazy news and trailers and things in the last episode, so please go check that out. Um, and if you guys uh, like this, Eric and I do a shorter podcast, slightly more professional, where we review new release films. Uh, you guys can check out that at Untitled Movie Reviews. Our newest reviews out right now are Bad Boys for Life and the masterpiece that's Doolittle. Yes. So. Is it as good as cats uh, check it out dude how they spend that much money on those two movies is baffling yeah uh but go check out those reviews and coming soon will be the lodge which will be an ongoing joke if we ever ever review it right uh let's get right into it so yeah this whole episode we're going to be talking about um just our most anticipated films of this year so it's it, it's not a regular episode um we're just talking about this you won't get the regular rigmarole and everything but um do you want to kick it off and look at last year's list and yeah, see let's how, do that. how we fared in our best yes. uh, most anticipated so i'm gonna pull up letter matt's gonna look this this up right um, now what else is new we ate some cinnamon toast crunch we sure did we sure did nevis made some coleslaw yep and a lentil uh sandwich clearly the healthier choice yeah we had a cheese string <laughs> and a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch oh god so much uh, dairy well, it was lactose-free. Right. But not the cheese string. Yeah, they were lactose-free. Oh, they were? Free. Yeah. Ooh. I make sure to get lactose-free everything now, so I don't have to shit my pants every day. Um, what am I looking for? Our most anticipated movies. Of 2019. There we go. 2019. So, um, we saw 18 out of 19 of these movies. Right. There was one film that got pushed to this year. Or that, it didn't... Did it ever have a 2019 release date? No, but because it's a we Netflix just movie. thought it was going to be released yeah. last year. So, let's go through this list and, um, and see how we fared. And I think we fared pretty well with uh, what we were excited for. 
So first on the list was Ad Astra. Yeah. Worked out super well. Um, I know we both of us kind of hesitated because neither of us were big James Gray fans. Yeah. Um, but Ad Astra both made, I think, both of our top lists. Yep. It was like my number seven or eight. Yeah. For same here, I think. So uh, excellent, excellent movie. I mean, Endgame, that was a given that it was going to be on there. Ended up uh, uh, being even better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. Disney needed a break. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Beach Bum worked out very well for us. I think that was, uh, I made my best films of the year. Did it make yours yep. too? There yep. we go. Uh, here's one that didn't, which I never actually, I didn't even end up seeing it because of the reviews. The Dead Don't Die. Oh, so I think that's our biggest bust out of this list. We'll no, keep going no, it. no, it's not no? our biggest bust. Okay, I'll keep going. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> two of these movies did not work out very well for us, this being the first. So, yeah, I didn't even see The Dead Don't Die. And it wasn't it's that okay. it was horrible, it, right? No, it was it's just, just that it, the, it, was, it was so high concept, and it felt like Jim Jarmusch kind of got bored with the zombie genre halfway through the movie and then completely yeah. went meta with it, and it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, the Irishman, uh, where I was a little medium on, I didn't not like it, but, um, you loved it. Yeah. Um, Jojo Rabbit, which I really liked, you were a little bit medium yeah. on it. So, uh, Knives Out, I was a little bit medium on it. You enjoyed it, right? I did, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's my Ford versus Ferrari. Fair. Um, here's one that actually didn't end up coming out, which was D Rees, uh, the last thing he wanted, which, which is, playing is playing at Sundance Sundance this year. So, uh, that was the one film on our list that didn't actually end up coming out in 2019. Uh, Greta Gerwig's little women, which I was medium to negative on. Which you were you negative. really liked. I, I, yeah. I you were negative, negative Nancy yeah. on that one. I was. Yeah. yeah. Actually, as we go through this, there's, I mean, there's some things, I guess, that didn't live up to being some of the most anticipated films of the year, for me, at least. I think this next one um, uh, was uh, Noah Howley's Lucy in the Sky, which I ended up really liking at TIFF, yeah. just because it was fucking weird. <laughs> um, but I was in the a small minority on that. And the more I thought about it, the less I thought about it, And um, if that makes any sense at all. It, it's um, been forgotten in the sky. Yeah, exactly. Or in the stars. Uh, Ari Aster's uh, Midsummer, which yep. we both really loved. Uh, here's the probably the biggest dud on the list, which you pushed hard for last I year. I sure did. Was Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. Yep. Um, which we didn't know much about other than what it was based off of when we put it on the and list. And also, last he's been year. working on it for, for 19 yeah, years. So, yeah. <laughs> a long ass time. Uh, and it's terrible. How'd it go for him? It's real bad. <laughs> uh, go listen to our TIFF roundup for uh, our thoughts on that. But yeah, we both really, really disliked that movie quite a bit. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest bummer on this whole list, right? Yeah. Uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite uh, are number one and number two films of the year for both of us. So yeah. I think that worked out pretty well. And I wonder how many people actually um, had Parasite on their most anticipated list because I feel like that was we still... We are trendsetters. Yeah. You know? A movie that was kind of under the radar at that point. Yeah, and I mean, Bong is obviously a well-loved director, but uh, he, I guess maybe he's not someone you think of when you're thinking of your most anticipated yeah. films. Yeah, we're now like going forward, whatever think, he does yeah. next, everybody will be looking at and, you know scrutinizing and saying oh it's not as good as parasite sure you know he'll, he won't be able to escape that the same way that like barry jenkins wasn't able to escape that with if beale street could talk yeah and, that's fair yeah yeah that'll be curious to see what he does next um on our last episode we talked about the hbo um uh, parasite series that they're going to be doing 
Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. So we had uh, two Marvel movies on our list last year. I think uh, both ended up being very, very enjoyable. The Mysterio yep. stuff in Far From Home was... Um, A good way was, to finish off Phase 3. Yeah. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, which I really liked. You were a bit medium on. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I mean, it's still a Star Wars movie. I think no matter what, we'd probably have it on our... At least I would have yeah, it on Yeah, on an anticipated most, list. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uncut gems and waves uh, rounded out the list. So um, I think I pushed hard for because I loved Trey Edward Schultz, and that ended up. I mean, I liked waves. It kind of came and went this yeah. year, but um, I it got I, washed away. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I, I do like it for um, kind of its it, its things its things that it's playing with with its aspect ratio and music right. and, and and symmetrical kind of storytelling and, and things well, like that. As I already said, you're also wearing an A24 shirt. Sure, so. yeah, and Uncut Gems, another yep. A24, which I film. really enjoy. Yeah, and I actually the more the further I get away from that TIFF screening, the more I want to revisit it and um, and watch it again, maybe um, at the end of. At the end of the month. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm going to either watch it at Netflix or I might actually go to the Paradise Theater for the first time um, with Nevis this week because it's Ooh, playing there. Nice. So I've wanted to check something out there and Uncut Gems is playing there. Nevis has already seen Uncut Gems twice and loves it. So uh, Howie. Um, we might go uh, and see that this week, which I'm excited for because um, I do – out of everything that on this list and like for the few things that I was disappointed with, uh, Uncut Gems is the one where I'm like – that seems like a movie I would like, yeah. and I don't know why I didn't. It didn't click with me when we saw it at TIFF. But the festival's a weird time where it's like it is this blur, and I don't know what I actually did or didn't like until I actually see movies. Right, for a and it time. might just also be you were simply not in the mood for it at yeah. that at that time. That happens a lot as well, where you'll go back and watch something, you know, with with a clear head and a clear mind, and you know you haven't watched anything else that day and then you appreciate it or know what you're getting into. But when you're watching, you know, three to five movies a day and it is your third or fourth film and near the end of the festival. And, and yeah, it, it can be, it is, it is abrasive and it's designed to be that way, but it can push your buttons in the wrong way. in in that context. Yeah. And, but for me, I, I keep listening to the uncut gems score. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I watch the trailer, I'm like, how did I not like this movie? And then uh, I was watching uh, Goldman versus Superman. <laughs> not uh, Silverman. <laughs> Goldman v. Superman. Um, Silverman. Um, and I really loved that as well. And um, I'm like, fuck, I got to give this movie another shot. So that's the one movie for me. Is there anything that you were disappointed with that you want to give another shot from last year's list? Or you're pretty Not sad? Motherless Brooklyn. Yeah, no. God, no. Um, I mean, no. I would be interested to maybe watch Waves again. When it comes out on Blu-ray in February. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, like, I just want to watch movies that I enjoyed, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, and and revisit, you know, something like Ad Astra again on 4K, which I yeah. picked up and, and you nice. know, have some time for that. Yeah, I would love to rewatch that as well. Yeah. Cool. So that's how last year's list uh, netted out for us. Pretty um, good. Pretty good. How it compares to this year's list. We've added one more film because it's the year 2020. <laughs> yeah. 2020. Uh, and with Barbara Walters. So do you want to get right into it? Let's do it, man. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go back and forth? Well, just, and just do alphabetical alpha- order and, and give our about, thoughts and, yeah, cool. and hang out and, you know, uh, eat some <clears throat> cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah. 
So, uh, okay, here are our top 20 most anticipated films of 2020. Starting, this is in alphabetical order, as Eric just mentioned. Yeah, we don't want to play favorites, um, even though I think maybe at the end or even during... We can talk about we can, what? Yeah, the one that we're maybe looking forward to the most. Yeah. I think at the end we can talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so kicking it off is uh, Annette by Leo Carax. Yes. Um, the director ahead. of Holy Motors returns after almost 10 years. Yes. I mean, we Holy put, Motors was 2011, which 2011? We, which we put on our best of the decade list. Yeah. And so this is um, his first film since Holy Motors. It stars Adam Driver as a stand-up comedian and... Uh, his wife, played by Marion Cotillard, is an opera singer, and they have, I think, a three- or four-year-old daughter who has a special ability. And, by the way, this is also a sung-through musical. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Will it be as good as Cats? Who knows? <laughs> but it, it truly is one of those movies where it's like, I'm I'm curious to see how he'll work with an American actor like Adam Driver coming off of, you know, the success of uh, Marriage Story and Black Klansman specifically and, you know, working in the milieu of a filmmaker that is very much um, lyrical and musical in his filmography anyways. And for him to commit to do a An full-on musical, musical yeah. with the, the the band Sparks composing the score and, and the music itself. It'll be really uh, an interesting movie, and I bet it will either probably play at uh, Cannes if it's yeah. ready or in the fall festival season. Mm-hmm. And Amazon has it, so it will get distribution. That's great. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, uh, Holy Motors was a unique experience seeing that with you at, at TIFF Lightbox, yep. right? Yep. We both went, which was And that movie is basically... Uh, sort of a culmination of Leo Carax's career up until then. He's referencing his own movies and where he sees himself in his career and working with, obviously, the great Denny Levant. Um, but this is going to be interesting because he's been working on this for almost 10 years. And right. Marion Cotillard was his first choice for the lead, but she got busy with other projects. And then, you know, people like Rihanna came in for that role and then she dropped out and then Michelle Williams and then right, Cotillard right, came right. back because she had time in her schedule. She actually left um, the Jessica Chastain uh, espionage film that uh, she was going to be the right, uh, one of the right, co-leads right. in that and Diana Kruger took her role because Cotillard wanted to come back to Annette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I'm very, very excited for it. I'm glad that we're finally getting it after this long hiatus. Uh Number two uh, on our list uh, in alphabetical order, uh, Polly V's Benedetta. This is going to be one of the most holy experiences <laughs> of 2020. Um, if you don't know, Matt and I both love... I mean, I, I think most film bros and film uh, connoisseurs love Paul Verhoeven. I mean, he is the master of the exploitation genre and sort of makes movies, at least if you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s and watched movies like Total Recall and RoboCop, you were watching films on, even uh, Starship Troopers, you were watching movies that on the surface looked like your, your pedestrian kind of blockbuster, but then as you were watching them, they would subvert your expectations and warp your mind in the way that you know paulie v likes to play with you know uh sex and violence in a very disturbing manner and he's become more um sort of interested in religion and sort of pushing the conventional um thoughts and feelings 
of how we see um, certain religion. And and with this, this is about, uh, I think it's a 17th century yeah, uh, lesbian uh, nun. So. Sister Benedetta Carlini, a 15th century nun. Oh, 15th century, pardon uh, me. Who was hailed as a visionary, but later accused of, of fabricated miracles, homosexuality, and other charges, and imprisoned for 35 years. Yeah. And if, you know, if it's anything like his last movie, L with Isabelle Huppert, yeah. we're going to be in for something yeah. very unique and probably very provocative. And it's going to push boundaries and buttons. And this is another movie where um, I could see it playing at Cannes. I could see it playing uh, in the fall festival season. And it will definitely be one of a, a conversation that will open up. I can see now like hundreds of think pieces being oh written my God, about yeah, this Especially thing. if it's, yeah. I mean, L's one thing, but when you start involving like religion and stuff right. like that, but he's he's like, never. I know he's, he's never shied away from from that. controversy. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like even going back to you know Soldier of Orange and Turkish Delight and things like that. Like he's always been a guy that's pushed those boundaries and turned people off, and and not everybody's going to be into it. But at the same time, he also brings this comedic element to all of his movies. This sense of satire that yeah. you know he is kind of pushing your buttons but doing it in a way that's kind of you know wanting to make you laugh because you feel so uncomfortable a hundred percent uh next on our list uh andrew dominic's blonde which is the marilyn monroe biopic yeah so this has been in the works for some time as well and he uh andrew dominic who directed chopper uh killing them softly and the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford um it's being distributed by netflix but produced by brad pitt's company plan b and uh, originally it was going to star naomi watts and then um she left the project and then it was going to be jessica chastain and then jessica chastain Chastain left the project, and then more recently, uh, Anna de Armas um, was cast in the role. It's going to be interesting to see um, a Latin actor in that role and yeah. see how she kind of plays with it. But I, from what she I've read, looks just like her. Yeah, and from hair. what I've read, it it's going to it's not going to be your traditional biopic. It's going to be a surreal kind of okay, great period piece. So you can play around with those sort of ideas yeah. and and the image of what Marilyn Monroe is is um and i mean her story is very tragic and 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 filled with um a lot of abusive men in her relation in her life and her relationship so I'm, I'm curious to see how this movie is going to unfold and it's been a while since andrew dominic has directed a feature he's done a couple episodes of mind Killing hunters was 2012 yeah it was around the time of um uh, uh obama being reelected because that played a, a yeah. part in the yeah narrative. i wasn't a huge fan of i wasn't Softly, either but yeah and it was based on kogan's trade uh the, yeah. the novel but i i do think he is a filmmaker who's work is worth checking out totally. and also to be excited for yeah and i mean i love anna de Armas too i mean with great roles in in blade runner recently uh knives out she's great even if i was kind of medium on that movie um it seems like it's going to be a big year for her i mean no we have another die, movie on yeah. there but she also is going to be in the erotic thriller uh, uh deep water with ben yeah. affleck and tracy letts yeah <laughs> and my tagline for that movie is let's get erotic <laughs> god damn it um yeah, so she's having a huge year, and yeah, you will see her uh, pop up again in, on this list. Uh, next up, uh, can jury president Spike Lee's The uh, Five Bloods. So this is his Vietnam epic where a group of Vietnam vets look back at uh, the events that kind of 
triggered them and also brought post-traumatic stress disorder uh, on them. So I'm I'm curious about this one because like Spike Lee is one of those guys that not everything he makes is is you know a, yeah, a, a you know. home run, but you can never deny the experimental quality of his work and just the audacity of what he is doing as a filmmaker. I totally agree with that. Like no matter, even if he's hit or miss, I'm still, I, I will still watch any Spike Lee movie. Yeah. Like I'm, and, I'm, and, and anticipated. Yeah. Know? And I'm not the biggest Chadwick Boseman fan. I, I think he's a little bland, but with people like Jonathan majors in a supporting role, that kind of excites me a little bit. And I just want to see what he'll do with you know a 1960s vietnam story and sort of maybe how he could even relate it to what's going on now i mean the the synopsis sounds cool where it's just like four african-american vets return to vietnam searching for the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure Right. Well, it sounds like the treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah, that sounds cool, man. I'm totally into that. With with Spike Lee's style and, like you said, I mean... um, Jonathan Majors, you you loved his performance in Last Black. Man, yes, right? it was so, one of my favorite, if not favorite, performance of of last year. And and to see him follow it up with uh, a filmmaker who you know a lot of people will watch his work and to show like you know like this time next year we'll be talking about Jonathan Majors and like this you know huge discovery. But we can be like yeah. we saw him in Last Black Man <laughs> in San Francisco, yeah. like you know totally. Um, what the hell is that noise? <laughs> Uh, sorry, there's just like a weird noise. I thought someone was blowing their nose. What? Oh, Nevis was opening the window. Opening a window? (laughs) Okay, Nevis is opening a window. But it did sound like someone blowing their nose. Yeah. Uh, That's funny. Um, Up next, uh, Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Yes. um, Which is taking the, uh, the Star Wars spot at the end of the year in late December. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Um... Yeah, dude. I, I mean, Denny Villeneuve, which uh, I, I think was one of the, I mean, he had a breakout decade, obviously, and I think he's one of the best directors working in Hollywood uh, today. Um, I'd have to say this is up there with one of my most anticipated films of the year. And that cast. And, yeah, the cast is incredible. There was that ongoing joke where every week we had a new cast announcement for Dune, and uh, I've just, I don't know much about Dune. I've never seen the... Uh, the David Lynch version, and I just know from what you've told me about it. Yeah. Um, well, is and, the spice right? We'll find out. Yeah. And you um, just, but what I am, I'm also I'm excited about it. I think it'll be strange and a unique experience, especially with the budget that he has. But I'm also nervous for him because right. I want this to be a success because Same. I feel after Blade Runner 2049 um, bombing going, commercially, like yeah. if this fails, and this is another dense sci-fi film and supposedly part one of two right like this i think is going to you know like it's still up in the air whether or not part two is going to happen the same way like you know it chapter two wasn't necessarily um a sure thing until the movie made its money at the box office and showed that hey you know warner brothers you know this is this is a hot property now and and frank herbert's dune has always kind of been a niche sci-fi book and or series of books and i feel like a lot of people don't know his his writing other unless you're like a hardcore sci-fi fan my Um, only exposure was jordorowski's dune which i saw at tiff weirdly yeah the documentary about jordorowski trying to make his version of dune and that falling apart but how his movie fell apart and was able to sort of seed other films like ridley scott's alien yeah um 
but yeah, it, I think it's going to be one of those movies that is going to be this big epic in the winter of 2020. And, you know, with that cast, hopefully it'll get people in. But I, I just hope that people will realize that this is going to be an unusual movie and an unusual event film, even though it has people like Timothy Chalamet and Josh Brolin and, you know, Rebecca Ferguson and people like that. So well, you hope it goes like the Mad Max Fury Road route where yes. that's like a weird it, Warner Brothers as well. Yeah. Right. So like, I mean, it's Blade Runner, it being a sequel to a, uh, you know, not a cult movie, but... But it was like, at yeah, first, I guess because, it I mean, is, it bombed right? when it came out in 82. Yeah. It got re-released uh, through the director's cut. It took years and for years for like, it to really kind of right? click with people. And that happens. You know, some movies are either ahead of their time or just too small to be considered um, a box office hit. But Dune is one of those things where it's like it was it was in a similar situation where there are a lot of people that don't really know about that property that don't really care. And, and not not in like, oh, I, I, I would never watch this. But like, it's not something like Star Wars where there are traditional elements in those movies that are very accessible. I do think know? they're going to market it like Star Wars. Oh, though, yeah. With but then people are going to come that, in and, yeah. and watch it and be like, what the fuck well, is going on? Well, they're going to make on? it like, this is fucked up Star Wars. Yeah. That's, well, which I, I, I think, think is the best way to kind of to market to do it. it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm... Curious of when we'll get a trailer. I hope we get something soon. Well, some people but... are thinking it might come with Birds of Prey or something like that. Yeah, but, it could uh, be but Birds I, of Prey. Or, but I could see them yeah. waiting because, I mean, this is a big, big movie. I think they're going to, you know, take Denny Villeneuve's cues and sort of wait until he's ready to go. Either way, though, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for him. I know that even if it isn't a... a, a the commercial success, it will be an experience unlike any other. Right. You know, the spice is right. Uh, yeah, I can't wait, dude. Um, next on the list, uh, Chloe Zhao's Eternals yes. or the Eternals. I think it's just called Eternals. Um, this is, uh, not to spoil anything, but our lone Marvel, I mean, there is only two to pick from, but, um, our lone, uh, Marvel Studios representation on the list. Uh, don't know much about the Eternals other than, yeah, it is. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani's ripped. Oh God, he's so jacked, man. <laughs> um, good for him. Uh, cast is great. Um, they're supposed to be these, these gods who have lived for hundreds of thousands of years. And, uh, I'll be curious. It seems very cosmic. Um, it is technically not the first film in phase four, but with Black Widow being a prequel, which will probably set up, you know, whether it's villains or the Thunderbolts or, um, or, uh, Florence Pugh becoming the next black widow things like that um this feels like the first just i don't know the excitement for me is not knowing much about it kind of like guardians we made fun of because of we were like who the fuck are the guardians of the galaxy there's like a talking raccoon i remember me and you yeah. on the old podcast just ripping it apart being like what the hell they're really grasping for straws yeah here. they're digging at the bottom uh, of the barrel but then, it kind of is true because it's like you look at that property and on paper it's like yeah like they truly are just looking for like you know not even the c-tier level character at that because well, even iron man and captain america were considered b-tier marvel characters when they first started the mcu yeah um because spider-man and x-men and and, Hulk. Um, and stuff like that were there were, were the a tier uh, in the comics and stuff like that but then it really uh 
took off with the first Iron Man movie. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked about Marvel at length, but um, for me, it's just it's it's interesting. And, and the similar things with Star Wars is just like we don't know where the future is going to take us. I mean, we're going to have a lot of familiar characters, but those are going to be a lot of the Disney Plus shows. It seems like, and right. a lot of uh, the theatrical stuff. Um, I mean, we talked about Scott Derrickson leaving Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness last week, and it, it's just curious. Ron to Howard's see. waiting by his phone. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know. The Eternals not knowing much about it um, kind of excites me. So. Right, and it also there 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 are less expectations on it, right? Yeah. So you can just kind of go with the flow of it and see where it takes you. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's worth noting though that even though this is our only Marvel movie on the list, and is it our only comic book film on the list? Uh it. Yeah, I think so. But it is worth noting that this year you have three or four major studio comic book films all being all directed, directed by, by women. women. Yeah, which is awesome. So yeah, with Wonder Woman, 1984, Black Widow, Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. All four yeah. big, all four probably big comic book movies yeah. this year. Um, I'm trying to think what else we're getting this year. I think that's I think um, that's it in terms of like the the big the studio DC and Marvel yeah. stuff, and they're all directed by women, which is a great sign. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah, seeing what Chloe Zhao like coming after the writer and 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 doing a big Marvel movie like this is going to be really kind of yeah. interesting. And and um, she might show up again on this list. Ooh. Uh, next up on the list, uh, John Lee's false positive. Yeah, I uh, I don't know too much about this other than the logline, which uh, if you could... Uh, Ironically, read. on Letterboxd, it says the plot is currently unknown. But I think on Wikipedia, um, it, it, it's written by Alana uh, Glazer. Um, of Broad City of Broad fame. City, yes. And uh, John Lee, who's directed a bunch of episodes of Broad City. And it is supposed to be a horror film, correct? Yes. That is about like... You said Pierce Brosnan's like artificially insemin not artificially, but just like inseminating himself with yeah is that this movie. Yes. Okay. Let me pull up the thing from Wikipedia because it had more details. without consent. Like um, that, I think that's what the the story is about. But it's a it's a, a horror film and it's playing with genre. And just reading about that, that kind of sounded very provocative and um like an interesting take on the horror genre specifically. Yeah, agreed. And I, I mean, I watched all of Broad City with Nevis this year and I, I really loved it actually. Um, I thought it was uh, incredibly, incredibly funny. And I think Alana Glazer is hilarious and sorry. So here's the plot um, on Wikipedia or maybe they don't have the plot. Um, all right. I don't think we really have much from here other than it's a, uh, Upcoming American horror film directed by John Lee with a screenplay by Lee and Alana Glazer. Yeah, we don't really know much about it other than probably those rumors are of what it's kind of about, right? Yeah. So, but it's starring Alana Glazer, Justin Theroux, Sophia Bush, Josh Hamilton, and Pierce Brosnan, uh, distributed by A24. Um, but yeah, I'm... So probably a fall uh, release. Maybe it'll even play Midnight Madness. Who knows? That could be dope. Yeah. So I'm trying to see if we can get more details. There should be an original press release when it was announced. If you just type in false positive. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, real-time uh, research, guys. Well, we put it on our most anticipated just because of the um, the people who were involved and things like that. Well, also, I mean, the premise did sound interesting. Right, when we first read about it. Um, Production Weekly called it a contemporary take on Rosemary's Baby. Ooh. Um, and The Hollywood Reporter described it as a psychological horror film. I'm going to go to the original 
Hollywood Reporter article. Its exact plot line is being kept under wraps. That's all they said. So, hmm. um, interesting. So, may I don't know where you read that, but well, I think I'll it was Collider. You. Yeah, um, contemporary take on Rosemary's Baby. You guys are seeing real live research. Anyways, we're excited for it. We'll <laughs> maybe have more details uh, at a later date. Yes, uh, but you guys should all watch Broad City. It's excellent. Have you watched all of Broad City? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very, very good. Hold um, on, I'm looking this up now. Okay, you're going to... Did you find it? Uh, maybe. Let's see here. Just dead air. <laughs> what exciting podcasting. What are you guys excited okay, for? Okay, so here Tweet it is. Okay, okay so this is... Ri- oh. <laughs> this is written by Jeff Snyder. This is back in March of 2019. Um, it says A24 hoped to keep the premise of false positive under wraps uh, in its announcement, um, but this is what he's heard. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. So here we go. Uh, Glazer Broad City and Justin Thoreau will play a couple who are struggling to conceive a child. So they go to see this fertility doctor played by Pierce Brosnan. Only the doctor is crazy and tricks them by getting her pregnant with his own sperm. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knows what the movie will actually be, If uh, but that is an intriguing logline. Um, definitely, definitely excited. Uh, next up on the list, I have it under F because that's how it was listed on Letterboxd, but really it is... Do we want to save it to one O? Well, let's just do it now because okay, we have it. it. We don't want to leave people um, in too much Weirdly, we'll, we'll give you the background of this, but uh, on, on Letterboxd, it's called Feed for some reason, but uh, we know it as the organ donor or saw nine or yes, whatever or untitled saw movie yeah, untitled saw movie um i fought hard to put this on the list i um no i i was like you got yeah you, you got not fought hard you were just like yeah put it on there whatever <laughs> um but i really wanted to put this on here because like i i do genuinely enjoy the saw movies both as a as a ongoing joke and as genuinely um as an uh, ongoing jigsaw yeah uh jigsaw um I again, I've had a good time in with the majority of the Saw movies, even though everything after three is pretty bad and kind of um, all blurs together after into three, one pile of crap. For me, yeah, for me, one, two, and three still stand out as, as part of it's nostalgic for me because those were like the horror movies I really enjoyed in my like teen years, and I was obsessed with the Saw movies. Um, and they kind of just got more and more ridiculous. And, and like you said, they, like I couldn't tell you the plot of four, five, six, seven, and eight was Jigsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you anything that happened in any of those. I could tell you probably exactly what each one, two, and three were about and, and what happened. But um, this excites me because it's, it's that continuing trend lately of, of comedians kind of taking on horror projects and, and Chris Rock came up with the, the plot of this film, the story. Um, and he is starring in it as well and producing it, I believe. Yeah. Um, well, we already even mentioned with false positive, right? Yeah. With Glazer, right. Right. Yeah. That, which so, is, I think yeah. an ongoing trend we're seeing more and more of lately. Yeah. And, and it's in, it's in the vein of, uh, William Peter Blatty who wrote the exorcist yeah. where I think comedy, comedy and horror aren't, and we've talked about this, aren't that far apart. I you agree. know, they're looked at as, lower genres that have a visceral 
reaction that they want to entice out of the audience, whether to laugh or to or be or scared. Scream, yeah. And when you combine the two, and if it works, it's a hard one to balance because one can overpower the other depending on, you know, what the filmmaker's strength is or what the script is sort of going for. But if you get it right, it can be a very, you know, heady conversation to have afterwards, obviously with Jordan Peele's Get Out, but even, you know, going and looking back at like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead movies. Yeah. And even if it's not blending comedy and horror, but almost using it like if you're a comedian and you're used to writing uh, jokes and, and, and punchlines to those jokes, I think you can set up scares really interestingly, just like you would be setting up a punchline to a joke, right? Yeah. It's just the scare is the punchline and you just need to have that build up to that scare or build atmosphere and things like that. I don't know. Like, and we saw it with, um, I mean, I'm not saying David Gordon Green was a, a comedian, but bringing in Danny McBride to write the script with him there. And I mean, David Gordon Green has both done dramas and comedies, like stuff like Pineapple Express and then uh, George Washington. Uh, George Washington, and, you yeah. Know, so yeah. It, it, I think we're seeing more and more of that lately, and I, I, I think that's kind of cool. So when you, the only way you would have gotten me excited for another Saw movie, I mean, Jigsaw we joked about just because, like, I mean, it was coming back, and we're like, what the fuck is this? Like, right. Um, I, I wouldn't have said that I was like super. Antis like I don't even think that movie would have made my most anticipated films of that year, because um, it just felt like it was going to be another Saw movie. Will this just be another Saw movie? Maybe, Probably, but, but um, with Chris Rock. But I don't know. That kind of excites me. Like Chris Rock, he's not just uh, doing shit left and right. Like he was the one who came to them with this pitch, which means he was invested and, and actually cared about this and wanted to do it. And uh, to me, that gives me a little. Uh, instance of hope of that it could be kind of okay or or, fun or at least or an like interesting, interesting detour yeah. in in the franchise because when you get to like you know eight nine ten eleven yeah. twelve in these kind of movies you need to do something different or reinvent the you know the method and the pattern in which these movies kind of all kind of fall into place there's a formula that kind of eventually settles in once you get to you know four or five where you rely on, you know, uh, the serial killer or main villain, you know, killing people in certain ways or giving quippy lines and certain archetypal characters kind of playing out in ways that you're familiar with over and over again. And people like that because they'll go and see it, you know, every Halloween when they're released. But at the same time, um, you need to kind of at least deviate from the plot a little bit. And I yeah. think with at least rock being in this and having a writing credit on it for, for the story and someone like Samuel Jackson in the movie as well, that might be at least worth, you know, the anticipation of, and also, I mean, it's shot in Toronto, so you got to get our CanCon yeah. uh, credit in there. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for it. And uh, you had a great theory, which you guys should go back and, um, I really hope that to. it is that theory. I forget what episode it is, but I think it was in the title I put and Eric had yeah. a great saw theory or something. But, um, if you guys can find that episode, it's at the very end, but, um, cliff notes of it, you had a great, cause the movie is called, or like its working title was o Organ Donor, which it's still listed on Wikipedia as Organ Donor, and I think on IMDb. Um, for some reason, in and it's been moved up, right? Like it's yeah, coming out it got in May, in May instead of October, because uh, it wanted to get away from Halloween Kills. Um, so yeah, you had a theory that Organ Donor could be alluding to that <laughs> Jigsaw's organs have been put into other people, and maybe he's possessing them, which I love. <laughs> right, and if it isn't, I will be disappointed. Uh <laughs> Because that so, is a good pitch. That is a great pitch. So uh, very, very excited for Organ Donor. Um, 
Uh, I just have no idea what to expect, but with Chris Rock being involved. Uh, and also, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting year for Chris Rock in general with being in season four of Fargo, too. Yes, which we talked about that trailer on the last episode as well. So you guys should check that out. Next up, we have Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Uh, a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in post-war 20th century Paris that centers on three storylines. Right. And um, we should also say that this is not four, four hours, hours long. long. It's an hour and 48. Yeah. God, that was so dumb. <laughs> Anyone who fell for that is just silly. Uh, great cast. A lot of Anderson regulars as well as uh, our second Timothy Chalamet movie on this list. Yes. Um, I have uh, – I was always wishy-washy on Wes Anderson probably up until the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, Getting a Criterion release. Yes, which I'm very excited about. Um, but it, it made me kind of go, maybe I misjudged this guy and kind of put him in this uh, you know box that I thought um, – uh, he was, but I don't know. I just, I love Grand Budapest so much that I'm uh, now. Well, you like Fantastic everything. Mr. Fox though. As I did. Well, and right? I loved uh, Isle of Dogs. Yeah. So I like his more, I think we talked about this and you said like it, it around Fantastic Mr. Fox and leading into Gra- and even into Grand Budapest. It's, I like him at his most cartoony. Right. Right. But like, the one that you didn't like as much that you might go back to at some point is, is Moonrise, Moonrise. Kingdom, yeah. right? Yes, so, which I was yeah. kind of medium on, but um not I didn't even like hate it or anything. Right. I was just kinda like, I don't get the hype that people uh people really love that movie that year, but then I think again I might might have misjudged it now that I have this appreciation for him, because I really do love Isle of Dogs and grand budapest um back to back and then going back to fantastic mr fox is my other favorite of his so i, I would love to pick up all those criterions and, and kind of maybe watch all of wes anderson's stuff leading into the french dispatch um not a musical though right because originally it was rumored that it was no but i'm sure be. there will be music in there in terms of elements of score and and yeah. you know what was being played at that time but i am curious as well to know who the actual leads of this movie are going to be yeah because he generally has uh a lot of people in yeah films, and right? and it doesn't really specify like what group of people are going to kind of be the main i'm assuming group. chalamet is probably one of the leads. yeah right? yeah but at, at the same time it's like i don't want to be like oh you know like oh i was hoping this person was going to be you know the, the the main cast member so it seems like this year is the year of timothy chalamet being in two huge casts you know yeah and whether or not he's the lead i mean he's obviously the lead in dune but whether or not he's the lead in in the french dispatch it, it um it will be interesting to see how Anderson puts all these actors in the movie and whether or not it will be too distracting or not. Because that's the one thing I do worry about a little bit where, like, you'll get somebody who pops up for, like, two or three minutes and it might be a little bit a little bit too much if it's, like, a really big name in, like, a right. two- or three-minute role. Yeah, because you have people like uh, Elizabeth Moss, Christoph Waltz, Jason Schwartzman uh uh christoph uh, yeah you said christoph waltz right? christoph waltz Benicio Kate Winslet, Del Toro. bob balaban uh uh willem dafoe owen wilson so a lot of regulars adrian brody and Henry willem dafoe's Wink. already even said that he like they were interviewing him for the lighthouse yeah. and he has a really it's a small, small part small part so i'm assuming chalamet i mean you got bill murray in there obviously saoirse's um, in it too right saoirse ronan uh yes saoirse's in there so she's coming so, back from uh, yeah grand budapest for and i mean too. grand budapest had a similar thing where it was not three different storylines but what i loved about that movie were the different timelines and the different right. aspect ratios i think is and how is it was brilliant. being told through you know like a, a book, book. And, yeah, yeah. god i love that fucking movie dude 
Um, so I'm, I'm super psyched for this. Very, 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 very excited. Um, moving on, uh, we have David Lowry's Green Knight. Do you know much about Green Knight? I know that it's based on the the King Arthur story yeah, f- or one of one of his knights a specifically. A fantasy retelling of the medieval tale of Sir uh, Gawain yeah. and the Green Knight. Yes. So uh, I didn't realize it was a fantasy film. That's cool. Um, this, I mean, you know me. I'm not huge in that, like, you know, time period. And, Unless and, there are um, rock monsters. Yeah, well, that's what I mean with fantasy stuff. Right. You never know. But uh, fantasy can go either way for me. But um, uh, David Lowry's become a filmmaker that I, I, I really, really do love. Um, so I think anything that he would be making, I would be excited for. But um, Ghost Story, I think, is is incredible yeah so at least we'll have something interesting in terms of him playing and it's a24 as well yeah and in another genre like he seems like one of those guys that is unafraid to jump into any kind of movie like he just doesn't make one thing you can't just put him into one category of filmmaking like he'll go and do you know a sweet charming you know uh twilight looking back at your life movie like the old man and the gun and then he'll do obviously the ghost story which is a very heady film philosophical piece of filmmaking about you know home and where the heart is or where the haunt is in this case yeah um something like pete's dragon yeah and 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 even his first movie ain't them body saints so you know you can never count him out and especially what he's going to do with the genre he's working in and seeing him work in the kind of medieval fantasy realm might actually add some new kind of layers to that genre that we haven't seen before and having people like dev battalion and Alicia Vikander in there is going to be really interesting to see how they're sort of incorporated into the story. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I and Barry uh, Keegan. Yes, from too. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, like him. Cool, yeah, I'm super... super Will he eat spaghetti in this? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Will someone eat an entire pie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone has um, to be eating something in this. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Yes. Uh, an unexpected detour turns a couple's road trip in a, into a terrifying journey through their fragile psych- psyches. Um, you got Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, uh, the two Jessies, I guess you yeah. can call them. Uh, Tony Collette, David Thewlis, um, yeah, and Charlie Kaufman, who has uh, Anomalisa would be his last, last movie, movie, yeah. Right? And. Everything that I've read about this movie sounds like it is going to be quite the experience from Jesse Plemons talking about, you know, um, him only using about like 15% of the actual book for the adaptation and then kind of going off in his own direction. Actually, very similar to what adaptation started off as as a real uh, movie adaptation and then turned into his own neuroses filled sort of dramedy with this. This is this is basically a horror film. And, and in a lot of ways, it does kind of sound similar to Midsommar in some ways where you have a couple that are kind of on the outs, one of, one of which wants to get out of this relationship more specifically and they're driving in the middle of nowhere after having spent some time uh, at one of the characters parents home so um, hearing all of that is very exciting and then also someone like we've talked about Jesse Buckley before but like with you know Beast and Wild Rose and now this coming up like I feel like this is going to be a really big breakthrough year and you know people will hopefully forget that she was in Doolittle Oh yeah. Oh right, she is. 
God, not I that she not like she like it's her fault that the movie's bad. It's just like it's unfortunate she that she doesn't do anything. Yeah, that her yeah. and like Antonio she Banderas literally lies in a bed yeah. the entire time. What the easiest paycheck you could ever right. probably get. But I guess if I was in that situation and being a, in a bad movie like that, at least you get off scot free, so to speak. Right. Like it's like, all on not, Downey. Yeah, you're not the issue there. Yeah. So yeah, um, that is. I'm I'm really excited about that. Yeah, movie. a Kaufman horror movie sounds terrifying insane yeah. yeah and it's not gonna um, be the kind of you know jump scare kind of no, horror like it's gonna just, sink into your an, bones an existential and, probably yeah. like oh my god uh speaking of horror movies our next film on our list is edgar wright's last night in soho um a young girl passionate in fashion design is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol a dazzling wannabe singer but 1960s London is not what it seems, and time seems to fall apart with shady consequences. Right. Um, sounds cool. Yeah, and this is Edgar Wright's... F- I mean, if you don't count, count like, don't. Yeah, or um, Shaun of the Dead. Or, oh, I mean, Shaun of the Dead is a horror comedy. There, yeah. there you go. There's yeah. a perfect balance of horror and comedy with that. Yeah. But this is like a. Tra- this seems like a traditional horror He says it's horror a traditional movie, horror movie. And yeah. it's playing with the element of time, which is interesting because his co-writer on that is, um, I believe it's Christy wilson Karens who co-wrote 1917. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe yep. it's not going to be a, a, a gimmick in terms of how they play with time travel in, in the movie. But at the same time... I'm very curious to see how Edgar's going to embrace, you know, full-on genre. It's similar to way the, in, in the ways that he did with Baby Driver. And he has Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie as the two leads. Matt Smith, uh, Terrence Stamp. Yeah, and, he, and I believe the cinematographer is the same cinematographer who shot uh, Old Boy, the original Old Boy. It, you are correct, and shot the first It uh, It Chapter 1. Yes, what's his name? It's, it's... Um, it is Zhang Zhonhun. Yes, yeah, and he's a, an amazing cinematographer. So I'm very excited to see how you know Edgar Wright's style of filmmaking matches with that cinematography, and and if it is a a, a perfect match, we're going to get something really creepy. But at the same time, I wonder if his kinetic style will be there too. Like I'm, I think I'm it will. Kidding, yeah. I think I think both of those, you know, both cinematography and direction yeah. are so. Like, they move. They keep moving. And I think that this is going to be a movie that is going to really play up on the, the fact that these guys are energetic filmmakers. Do we have a release date on it yet? September. September. It is September. Focus Features is releasing it. So, another movie I wouldn't be surprised Midnight if it plays Madness. TIFF. Yeah. yeah, I could see it being a huge Midnight Madness thing. Um, that'd be really cool. Um. I could see that. Edgar Wright loves Toronto, too. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, he made Scott Pilgrim versus the world, right? Yeah. He basically is an honorary Canadian. Yeah, basically. Uh, next up on the list, another Netflix film, David Fincher's Mank. Uh, a biopic about the life of Citizen Kane screenwriter uh, Herman Mankiewicz. Sources, sources say, it's a weird thing to have in a logline. Sources say the story will follow Mankiewicz's tumultuous development of the script for Citizen Kane, which would go on to be considered one of the best films of all time. This is from Letterboxd, which I Yeah, think and it's written by um, his uh, father. David Fincher's late father. Um, it's going to be shot in black and white. Now, even though it's not necessarily a movie like on paper that's like, 
I'm really excited about it. It's the people that are involved. Totally agree with you. Same thing with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And actually, I was reading, um, I think it was on the film stage, but they were talking about how they're going to go with a more traditional sounding score. And it's not going to be instruments from that era, which sounds really cool. Yeah. And it'll be different for them to change it up. And and I think the cast is interesting as well. Like, not only do you have Gary Roll in the titular role of Mank, but you also have someone like Tom Burke, who's playing uh, Orson Welles, who is coming off of uh, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir last year. Yeah, and you have Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, uh, Tuppence Middleton, Charles Dance is in there. And Charles um, Dance hasn't worked with David Fincher since Alien 3, so... Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and he loved, like, if you watch the behind-the-scenes making of, because obviously that was a troubled production, but Charles Dance, when you w- listen to him talk about how he worked with Fincher, you can tell that, like, he loved working with him and he's like this guy's gonna be like the next big thing yeah and so i'm curious like now to see them work together again so right and um with the mine hunter stuff which we didn't have on our news um list because they released the cast from their contracts and essentially didn't cancel the series but said they didn't want them to just you know wait around right um was that because he was working on this and just didn't have time? I or? would assume. I mean, like this, it, it's it's his first film since Gone Girl. So what? Yeah. That's five, six years. Two thousand thirteen, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, or fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So it's been a while, but it was that's it's kind of similar to him after doing Panic Room, right? Which was two thousand three, and then it took until two thousand seven for him to have Zodiac and Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Even though he was still working on things, um, it, it took time, and this is one of those movies that has been in development now for years and netflix is obviously you know he has a good relationship with them and paying the bill for it and they give him control which is something that he always wants right right and i think that's partly why you know the world war z2 movie didn't work out is because he probably wanted final cut and not only final cut but but he also wants marketing he like he wants all of it right yeah so and we're with um, we're with mank and netflix netflix will be like yeah do Here's a want. bunch of money. Just make us the movie. Yeah, and as long as it eventually shows up on the service, we're good. Yeah. Um, and they seem to be more filmmaker friendly lately, too, with Scorsese and, and Caron last year. Yeah, I mean, like- Lulu Wong actually brought up a really interesting point uh, for that uh, Hollywood Reporter roundtable where, like, a, a streaming service like Netflix wants to pair off with a brand name. And that's why she didn't... Yeah, that was a great point. Yeah. She didn't um, end up... Uh, Putting the putting farewell, the farewell yeah. with or signing up with them for uh, the farewell because she because, still needed to build her brand. Yeah, she's not a brand, and and she didn't want the film to get lost in the shuffle of all these you know options that are available. So like I like with someone like David Fincher, David Fincher doesn't have to worry about that. And now that we have you know the Lightbox and the Paradise playing you know these Netflix films theatrically you can see them in the theater and i'm yeah. sure again that will be another movie that if it's ready on time it'll be a tiff film yeah for sure uh next up we have uh sean durkin's the nest i will read this synopsis rory is an ambitious entrepreneur who brings his american wife and kids to his native country england to explore new business opportunities After abandoning the sanctuary of their safe American suburb surroundings, the family is plunged into despair in an anarchic, anarch, uh, anarch, anarchist, anarchic, uh, fuck, why can't I say that word right now? 80s Britain and their unaffordable new life in an English manor house threatens to destroy the family. Anarch, anarchic, anarch. 
Nevis Anarch? Anarchic? And she can't hear me. Whatever. I can't say um, suffluous. So you know, yeah, okay. it's just weird. It's one of those words where you just your well, it's you read like, it, but you can't pronounce it right. Like it's it, when yeah. when you're writing when you're writing a review versus when you're like recording it. That happens a lot. Like anarchy, but like yeah, yeah, I get it. I just for some reason, um, I, my brain isn't working. Uh, Sean Durkin, who directed um, Martha Marcy May Marlene, hasn't uh, directed a movie since. Well, he did or? do the miniseries Southcliff, which also played right. at TIFF in their prime time section, which is actually very good, and I recommend it. He's been in this kind of weird place in the last. 10 years or so where he's been producing a lot and trying to get projects up and going, but hasn't really had much success. The Actually, big... the word was archaic. Archaic. <laughs> just I didn't read it properly. Right. Not anarchic. Because I don't know if that's even a word. Anyway, sorry. Archaic. Yeah. Sorry. Cut, cut no, 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 no. What I was what I was saying was that he's been trying to get, like, he's had a Janis Joplin biopic in the works for five or six years with Michelle Williams, you know, and he's been wanting to get that made and nobody wanted to, you know, distributor or you know pay the bill for that um with this it's playing at sundance and him kind of sort of playing up the gothic horror or, or what like that is being described as as gothic horror in, in a way um it sounds like something that is going to be kind of tense but also maybe enjoyable in the same way that hereditary was yeah no i really liked martha marcy May marlene i remember seeing it at the festival um and really, really loving it that year. I don't think I've ever watched it since. It's not an easy watch. No, either. it's not a fun movie. Yeah, no. But it was kind um, of the it was the the introduction to uh, Elizabeth Olsen, right? Yes, like as yeah. you know the 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 good Olsen uh, <laughs> yeah. sister that can act. How dare you? <laughs> um, up next, uh, our second Chloe Zhao movie, Nomadland. Yes, uh, a woman in her sixties after losing everything in the Great Recession embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad, starring Francis McDormand, David Strathairn, um, and yes, our second Chloe Zhao uh, film on the list. So she has two films, one yeah. giant Marvel movie. And now, she's piece. been working on this movie. She finished it before for, The Eternals, Before right? she even got hired for The Eternals. Yeah. Like, she was, you know, Fox Searchlight... Now Searchlight. <laughs> now Searchlight Studios, yeah. right? Um, the former... Or pictures or something. I think it's... Searchlight Pictures? Pictures, yeah. And then it's 20th Century Studios. Yeah. Okay, yeah. this is going to get really confusing. <laughs> It'll take some time yeah. to adjust to that. But yes, Searchlight Pictures. Um, fox is dead. Fox is... <laughs> the mouse no. killed the fox. Um, Francis McDormand saw the writer and is like, I need to work with this person. That's awesome. And she, she told Fox Searchlight, the then Fox Searchlight, <laughs> that we need to you know, set something up. And so because of that, they're now working together. And this is probably going to be closer to the writer just in terms of aesthetic and tone, because she's bringing in most of the people she worked with on the writer. Um, just working with a well-known actress. Yeah. And like, yeah. And it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I, I love Francis McDormand and, and Chloe Zhao having, and, and having the backing probably of, Disney probably on both films is is, is really cool because if Eternals ends up being great or successful, like it, does this have a release date yet or or no? Uh, I mean, there's a lot the of there's a lot or... like French Dispatch, um, this and like even the Taika Waititi soccer movie, oh, uh, yeah. Next Goal Wins. Don't didn't even think about that. I didn't we either. This um, don't have release dates as of yet. The only ones right. that do are, are Wendy but and But probably going to be the fall. Yeah. We, like, I'm assuming with Taika getting a 
best picture nom for Jojo and things like that. They'll give him a prime slot in November or something like that again. Yeah. Um, or October. And because that's um, a sports movie, like they're going to play up the idea that it's a, a you know, crowd pleasing sports drama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I for, yeah, I forgot about that movie. I totally as well. forgot. Or else with Michael probably, Fassbender, yeah. it probably would have been. On well, we mentioned list. it just yeah, now. Yeah. So, um, next up, uh, uh, Carrie Fukunaga's No Time to Die, our newest James Bond film. Uh, the last film starring, well, we keep saying this, I feel like everyone, but with Daniel Craig, our second Anna de Armas movie. Yep. Uh, Rami Malek playing the villain, Leia Sedu returning. Um, Christoph Waltz returning. Christoph Waltz returning. Benoit Shah, Ralph, uh, Ralph Fine. Rafe. Uh, Rafe, sorry. Uh, uh, is it Rafe or Ray? Rafe. Rafe Fines. But you can just say it as one thing Rafe Fines. <laughs> yeah. Um, he fu- Billy he found it. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, um, uh, and it, another Billy. Billy we have Eilish a trailer doing out the already. Score. Yeah, Billy or Eilish song. doing the doing the opening titles, which I think is dope. Um, uh, Harmony Corinne's greatest creation. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm excited for this man. Like the trailer, I was a little mixed on that first trailer. I think that was just an editing thing for me. I think it was weirdly paced. Right. Um, the trailer. Um, but I'm always, I'll always get excited. But I also think there's been a little bit, there's, there's a certain hesitation towards the movie because of everything we've heard with the behind the scenes of this movie specifically with, um, you know, Danny Boyle originally going to be the director and dropping out because he didn't get along with Daniel Craig. And then the stuff on set with Kerry Fukunaga sort of. Playing PlayStation, PlayStation, but also <laughs> I don't know if that, any of that was but, no, true. no, no. But but Daniel Craig being injured and delaying right. some of the production and things like that, and you know, like even the backlash with Rami Malek after winning, you know, the Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody, I feel is is there as well, even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a James Bond movie, and you know, have bringing and also doing the rewrites with Phoebe Waller uh, Bridge. Yeah, but right? I think that's a positive thing. For no, me. I do like, too. Yeah. But when when you hear like when production a movie is during like that, yeah. a, a production and it is needing major rewrites or things are changing, that is always kind of a sign of of things that aren't always working the way that you were hoping. Yeah, but you hope that those things make for a better film. And, yeah, and if they me, can save it then it's fine. Like yeah. it doesn't matter, but people will people like us or people that yeah. know about it that are cognitive about the situation will be have that in the back of their mind. Yeah, and yeah. they will be looking at that while they're watching the movie. If, if if tonally speaking, there's something wrong with it, and sometimes it can be blatant where you can tell. Where obviously, like something like Doolittle, like that movie is trying to negotiate <laughs> what it is as it's going on yeah. in terms of like fitting pieces that don't connect together because you can tell some of it is reshoots and some of it is you know the the original footage that they shot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope it follows the pattern of good, bad, good, bad, good for Daniel Craig yeah. Bond movies. I mean, Skyfall so, is is um, the best of the Craig movies. I just hope that this, as a swan song, is just at least a decent entertainment like and fun, worth Craig's yeah. time. You exactly. Know? Like, I mean, I think even even bad Bond movies, I think, are kind of fun. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, uh, so that's why I think... I'm always looking forward to a new Bond movie, and Craig's been in this role for I, I 
God, like 13 2006 years. was the Casino yeah, Royale. 14 years. Yeah. Um, which is crazy to me. So the majority of my life and your life, uh, he's been James Bond. And uh, I think that's wild. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I think uh, Fukunaga is a, a great director. And, and um, uh, I always... Uh, I mean, Billie Eilish doing the fucking song is 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 crazy to me, and such an, an interesting choice uh, that I feel like you know, classic Bond fans would be like, "What the fuck?" But, um, and I don't think it'll be a ballad. I know that's not an important thing of the movie, but it always feels iconic, right? Like a new Bond theme, right? And um, no, but I'm, I mean, they've always they they've when it comes to the song, they've always been like they don't get enough credit with being current because like you look at you know a view to a kill that's done by duran duran yeah. you know and like it is a duran duran and it song is very much of that time yeah. right so yeah, billy irish yeah. doing it kind of makes sense to me yeah. i don't know like like sometimes you get like cool. like obviously adele's voice and is classic is classy in the but, kind of the same way that shirley bassey was yeah with you know diamonds are forever and but adele was very much of that moment too yeah. right and I, that's what i love about bond themes is like you like you just said you can pick them out and you kind of know exactly what era that movie's from just based on its theme yeah. right For unless you get part. like someone like like tina turner who did you know GoldenEye, yeah, because sure. i mean tina yeah. turner is an 80s you know icon but she did a 90s movie with um two of the members of u2 yeah you know helping compose the the right the theme. But even the jack black alicia keys uh, that is probably um, the worst i would say yeah, of the chris like, the, cornell yeah um it, like you've had some weird choices so billy eilish isn't uh sam totally smith out of, and, yeah you sam smith makes more sense i guess he's the more like, traditional one but yeah. adele is as well but adele i mean like she kind of has that throwback quality to her of yeah. like you know the classic and i would say sam smith is is similar in that yeah thing, right? yeah and then but yeah the jack jack white and alicia keys is is very weird yeah um anyways i'm excited and yeah i mean even the bad daniel craig movies i don't think are awful they're just kind of bland they're or, better than um, some of the roger moore ones yeah and like i would say quantum of solace if watched directly after uh casino royale like immediately after almost as like an epilogue um i'm almost okay with it well the first um, the first 10 minutes or so of that movie as a direct sequel to casino royale are yeah. quite thrilling like i like the stuff with jasper christensen as yeah. mr white in the trunk and like it was i mean i guess maybe i think with to... diamonds are forever and and um honor majesty's secret service being a direct connection yeah like it, it had been a while so you know continuity wise the bond movies have always been weirdly episodic where it's like a new chapter and you might you have returning characters slate. and shit yeah. but it's a completely new story yeah and jeffrey Wright's back is felix um, felix Leiter, and that's what i like i mean it's had this through line and and quantum of solace being yeah taking place moments after casino royale i feel like it does it a disservice at least i feel like i was disappointed with that movie because it was years later and i just feel like when a movie picks up immediately after it i went back and re i'm gonna rewatch them all before um no time to die comes out but i remember rewatching casino royale and then that right back to back and i did i was like i ended up liking quantum of solace a bit more because i'm just like oh you know what if you just think of this as like another hour and a half because it's an hour and a half it's super short too, yeah um of just like extending casino royale into like a three and a half hour movie or whatever yeah i just um, think again like I, we, I, we've talked about this with skyfall and specter like specter's not necessarily a 
bad movie. It was just unfortunately a follow up to a great Bond movie yeah. in the same way with so it felt Quantum of Solace, right? right? Like exactly. Casino Royale was like this great introduction to Daniel Craig as Bond and them following it up with it. Oh no, it's okay. Like I don't think it's a uh, a great movie, but at the same time it is far from the wor- like forgettable, yes, but far from being the worst of any of the Bond movies. Yeah, I would say underwhelming and forgettable are the perfect descriptors for both Quantum of Solace and Spectre. Yeah, but they I'm, can't all be hits. No, you know? and I'm fine with that. Like, and I'll again, I'm curious going back to rewatch these. I haven't seen Spectre since that shitty screening we went to where the fucking masking was all fucked up and it was projected in the middle of the I can't screen, believe they, so. they, they showed um, that to critics like that. Like, you, but, like that's a movie you would think that they that would want a bunch of times. I, I know. remember I sent a long email and it hasn't happened since. No. So I feel like that's a victory for me. Uh, all right, moving on. Um, next up on the list, uh, Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman. Playing um, at Sundance. Playing at Sundance, coming out in... April. April, yeah. Um, a movie that caught me by surprise. I knew nothing of it until the trailer dropped, and uh, I thought the trailer was excellent. And um, it's going to be a huge conversation yeah, starter. Like yes. it feels like this is going to be one of those movies. Obviously, like the the quick sort of lumping in of comparison will be it's a, it's a part of the Me Too movement. But totally, like yeah. I think it is going to have a very divisive kind of split and i'm very curious to see how that's going to play out totally it seems provocative for sure and the log line for everyone is a young woman haunted by a tragedy in her past takes revenge on the predatory men unlucky enough to cross her path uh starring carrie mulligan um you have people like bo burnham uh allison brie adam brody uh jennifer coolidge um uh connie Britton, uh, yeah laverne cox um uh clancy brown molly shannon christopher um, mintz platz yeah uh max greenfield so like i don't know i was really taken aback with this trailer i thought it looked super stylish and like you said like it seems like it will be um uh, a hot topic when it comes out and, and seems provocative enough that like i'm i'm really intrigued by this and um uh, I don't know much about this director. Well, she's she's done TV, I think, and uh, Killing Eve, I think, is the the main thing she's kind of known sure, for as a yeah. director. Yeah, she's uh, been an actor in a few movies too. In yeah, the Danish Girl and Anna Karenina. Yeah, um, and Pan. <laughs> uh, cool. Joe Wright, sure. Joe um, Wright and Tom Hooper. Yeah. Will Will there be any cats influence in in this movie? Who knows? We'll see. But I'm uh, go check out the trailer if you haven't watched it. Uh, great use of Britney Spears' Toxic. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see you know Carrie Mulligan get this kind. Like, I mean, I really liked her in in Wildlife. Yeah. Um, but kind of her getting like this big showy role, um, because after an education, it felt like she was primed to be, you know, like a big name and then after like wall street money never sleeps she kind of fell by the wayside of like the big she, studio yeah. like she did well but but mostly independent stuff right, right? and in a supporting role in supporting like roles like yeah. i mean my favorite performance that she's given so far to date is still um uh, mark romanak's never let me go which was the, the same year or the year after uh, an education um but yeah like i felt like she was primed to be like a superstar and it just kind of never really happened because i don't feel like the studio knew how to work with her her, and just kind of pigeonholed her into one type of role so this i'm excited about great poster as well yes it almost looks like um uh 
like a poster that would hang in the room of, of Antonio Banderas's character in uh, Pain and Glory, yeah, a yeah. Pedro Almodovar-esque poster. Uh, next up on our list, our lone animated film, I think, on our most anticipated list. Uh, no surprise, it's a Pixar film. It's Pete Doctor's Soul. Um, kind of looks like a spiritual, spiritual, spiritual? <laughs> spiritual sequel to Inside Out a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it is directed or co-directed yeah. by Pete Doctor, right? Um, uh, here's the synopsis. Joe Gardner is a middle school teacher with a love for jazz music. After a successful gig at the Half Note Club, he suddenly gets into an accident that separates his soul from his body and is transport, uh, transported to the U Seminar, a center in which souls develop and gain passions before transported to a newborn child. Joe must enlist help from the other souls in training, like 22, a soul that who has spent eons in the U seminar in order to get back to Earth. Yeah, and we saw a quick behind the scenes making of with Pete Doctor being really candid, but also comedic about yeah. you know an making existential. An, an existential animated <laughs> yeah. film for kids, but also for grownups. And, and like you said, I mean, it does seem like a, a, a spiritual. Uh, companion to Inside Out, and and I'm sure you know a lot of those themes are going to be in there in terms of you know what, what makes the soul, it, what yeah. makes a soul, or what makes a personality. Yeah. And and visually speaking, I think this is going to be the movie that um, Pixar puts their their main focus on. I mean, I know they have Onward, but it seems like we're in a again Inside Out Monsters University esque year yeah, where we have dinosaur, yeah, and, yeah, like. Uh, onward looks like it'll be fun but um yeah two and a half men it looks more like a a dreamworks movie and not like i mean that in i know what you mean like it it, it almost it actually almost even looks closer to like spies in disguise right like it's a high concept idea with you know a family road trip sort of interwoven into the narrative which i'm sure it'll still be excellent and have a wonderful message and probably make me cry but right. like uh, soul looks way more intriguing and also has right? half like, a man uh, yeah <laughs> it, the, the stuff we saw from onward did look fun right and i like um, tom holland like yeah. it's interesting that he's doing a lot of voice work right now like with Doolittle, spies in disguise onward uh, yeah it We're seems so, like he's doing a lot of... Yeah, it's probably easy, right? right. You just fill in making, your time. Making like you, quick, just, you go sit in a studio for a couple days and, and, and read some stuff. Um, but yeah, Soul looks incredible. I'm, I'm very... And the music sounds... Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, right? Yeah. Um, and the score sounds fantastic. A nice jazzy score. Um, looks really, really beautiful. And uh, can't wait for that. When's that? May? May or June? Yeah. yeah. Um... Here's a big one. Uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, probably the the biggest film of the year. At least when it comes to a Dune, studio maybe. film. Dune right? and Tenet, I think, yeah. are probably the two most gigantic movies of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it at length. Uh, the trailers we've done reactions to. I talked about... See, we both saw, saw the, the prologue. prologue. You saw it twice. I saw it twice, once on film, which was really You cool. have not uh, rated it on Letterboxd, though. No, I didn't know you could do that. Maybe I will. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, we're both huge Nolan fans. I'm, uh, I can't wait. I hope this does play film here in Toronto. Um, we might have to go to Mississauga or Vaughn, but I hope it plays the Cinesphere. I hope that was a sign of the times when I saw it on film there. Um, great print song. If you're in Toronto, actually in February, they're showing all of Nolan's IMAX 70, not all of them. Cause I haven't seen dark Knight rises pop up, but um they're showing interstellar interstellar inception. dark knight inception and dunkirk all on imax 70 millimeter film 
at the Cinesphere. So I'm going to try and go to all of those. Uh, you just saw Interstellar in 70 millimeter regular film. Yes. At and I watched Inception recently with Kyle, no, but no. I would be willing to go and see them again anyways, just because they're yeah. at the Cinesphere and I yeah. just like Nolan. So Yeah. And I, I do want to rewatch all of his stuff before Tenet. And um, I hope they, uh, they add Dark Knight Rises. I think that would be the only other IMAX film of his yeah correct or am i unless they've upgraded following no which they definitely have not (laughs) could you imagine it's like yeah we decided to blow this up on an imax IMAX film film. yeah (laughs) uh so yeah i I don't know what else there is to say but well i mean john david washington looks like he's gonna cement his superstardom in this movie um robert pattinson looks like christopher nolan every Uh, movie he has one yeah (laughs) well the the joey pants stuff has been really funny watching where he's seen that online with the sopranos Wig. Wig. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Debicki. You have Hoyt Van Hoytema working with him again, but you also have new people in there as well. Like Jennifer Lame is is the editor on this, who uh, edited Noah Baumbach's uh, Marriage Story and has worked with him many times. Uh, she also edited Hereditary, so yeah. it's going to look and sound maybe a little bit different as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Um, don't know much about the plot other than like John David Washington plays a time spy or something like that. But like, <laughs> that would be amazing um, if that was the original title, <laughs> Time Spy. Um, and I'm also curious to see like or what the reasoning is behind them wearing these uh, masks, these breathing right. masks. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm so intrigued. Like even after that, like 10 minute prologue or whatever it was, I still don't know what the hell the movie's no. going to be about. So. Uh, which is exciting because. But I am like, I excited? Are we excited? Yeah. Is this an event film? 100%. Hell yeah! Yeah. It looked. Do if you guys haven't seen that IMAX prologue, try to seek it out. I don't know if it's still playing. I don't know if Star Wars is still playing in in things. I bet you they're playing that prologue before all these Nolan movies. Right. I'm, I'm guessing. And they, and I mean, they might even play it again with Birds of Prey. Yeah, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's playing in IMAX. It probably is. And then finally, our last film on this list. Um, this uh, is our wild card, I it think. It is, yes. Uh, from the director of Raw, yes. correct? Uh, Julia DeCarnow. DeCarnow. And you told me this is presented at... Or, uh, I can't speak. You're going back um, in time to Tenet. Titany? Titany. Okay. But the English translation is titanium. Cool. In an airport, customs inspectors collect a young man with a swollen face. He says his name is Adrian Lengard, or Legrand, sorry, Lengard, Legrand, a child who disappeared 10 years ago. For Vincent, his father, it's a long nightmare that ends when he brings him home. At the same time, a series of gruesome murders is putting the region under tension. Yes, so... Julia DeCarnow directed Raw, which played at uh, Midnight Madness uh, a few years ago, and I wasn't in love with the movie, but the direction I thought was so strong and the voice sort of playing with, you know, comedy and horror again and sort of, you know, looking at cannibalism showed that this person is somebody to watch and reading this this logline i was really excited to hear about it but then also the thing that kind of made me think like oh we should probably put this on our list the same way that i had that sort of inclination with parasite was because it um was brought to the american film market like parasite was and neon 
bought it like Parasite. You should get a neon sweater. Like I know that, I like. should. Um, and so I have, I just have this, Aaron, I have Aaron. this good Why feeling. I just called you Aaron? You called me uh, Aaron? Eric secretly works for neon. Yes. Yes. I don't. No. I wish they paid me though. Um, but <laughs> I am very excited about this movie and I just, you know, when you have like that kind of gut feeling. Like a hunch. Yes. Like this is my, you know, parasite of, of this year or the one i hope that'll be parasite cool man yeah i don't know much about it other than you brought it to my attention before we started and it has vincent here. linden uh in the in and one of the lead roles who's cool. great in you know french movies like at war and measure of a man and and uh really kind of stoic grizzled kind of character actor who's been in a lot of claire denis movies as well cool yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm psyched after you told me that yeah when you compared it like your hunch to parasite on my like, yeah i'm in let's throw it on the list i didn't see raw I know some people really love it. It's good. It's just that it feels like there are times where it would have been better, I think, almost as like a short movie. But it deals with sort of, you know, um, hazing culture and sort of, you know, uh, female relationships and sort of sister relationships and then also cannibalism. And again, it's kind of very tongue in cheek as it's eating the tongue in cheek. Um, but there are some gross moments. Yeah, in I got to work up the courage to watch it. It's not a movie that I just throw on. Anytime. No, like no, I but it's not, it's not, it's not like a, a, yeah. a, you know, a gross movie in the sense that, it's gross for the sake of no, being but gross. Even there's the a subject, reason behind but yeah, it. Yeah, but it's like Nightingale 2 where I'm like, I have these movies that I want to uh, watch. There's no Nightingale that, 2. Uh, no, yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. You have yeah, to build up to something like that. You have like to be that. in a, the right mood for that yeah. kind of stuff. So there you have it, everyone. That's our uh, the Untitled Movie Podcast, 20 Most Anticipated Films of 2020. Um, a lot of great filmmakers this year. I'm very psyched about this list. But also um, but also a lot of, like, I mean, obviously you do have the Nolans, the Edgar Wrights, the, 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 the big names, but it's not all just big names. It's filmmakers that are still up and coming, which I think is really exciting because we're going to get to see, you know, new perspectives, fresh perspectives, and voices that are still developing. Yeah, you know? totally. And yeah. I think we have a good mix of, you know, big Hollywood things, small things, big directors, you know, uh, some hidden gems in here, I think. So I'm, like, I'm really psyched about this list. And it'll be fun this time next year to kind of look how everything turned out uh, with this. Which will be a, which one of these will be the motherless Brooklyn? Oh, God. Year? <laughs> yeah, let's do some fun predictions. <laughs> No, I, it's hard because you are genu- We are genuinely excited about all these movies, just like we were genuinely excited for Motherless Brooklyn and, yeah. and some of the other stuff. So uh, I'm I'm curious to see what will uh, will happen this year and which which of these will be disappointing, which we'll absolutely love. Um, curious, and then uh, we do have a list of other movies that I think both of us threw uh, together here that we'll quickly gun. Yeah, you can just write, like, read them. Yeah, off. I mean some honorable mentions for movies that almost made this list. Um, Zola, uh, Minari, Passing, News of the World, Come On, Come On, The Last Duel, Candyman, After Yang, A Quiet Place Part 2, Antlers, Black Widow, Run, Fast and Furious 9, or what I hope it's called is just F9, um, Top Gun Maverick, Ghostbusters Afterlife, The Kingsman, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Halloween Kills, those who wish me dead and deep water, and also next goal wins, and another movie that I quickly forgot to mention or right on the list was uh, Memoria from the director of Uncle Boomy and okay, uh, cool. Cemetery of Splendor. Cool. Um. Yeah. So I mean, it looks like it's oh, and the shaping. souvenir part two. Sorry. Cool. Uh, looks like it's shaping up to be a really, really fun year. Um, out of these movies we've talked about, does one stick out to you for being 
the number one movie you can't wait for? Kaufman. Yeah. I am really curious about that movie. Um, Same. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, do you have a, you, you're thinking that it, it could play can't, no, not can't cause Netflix, right? Yeah. I think it'll be um, TIFF. It'll, yeah. it, it'll be a, it'll be a fall festival film. I mean, Anomalisa did the same thing. Like, you know, it'll, will it'll probably play Venice cause I think Anomalisa played Venice as well. Right. right yeah. So, um, Which Kate then- Blanchett's the, the, the head of Venice this year. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm just excited about that because I feel like that movie could go in so many different directions, but I've also just knowing Charlie Kaufman's style is that he is a filmmaker that plays up on the anxieties and fears that I have. And that is very relatable. And I feel like if he's making a horror movie, we are all going to be fucked. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. I put that up there. I don't know if I have like one movie. I mean, I guess something like Tenet with a new Nolan movie. Yeah. It is. Very oh, it's a, again at a, a, a big like, event film. And yeah. it gives you something to look forward to in the summer. That's not just going to be, you know, popcorn fair and not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's nice to get something that maybe also challenges you a little bit. Yeah. I agree. So uh, I would say Tenet is probably up there. Dune would be up there uh, for the big things. And then, um, again, I'm weirdly excited for o- Organ Donor and, and Saw. So Yeah, and now we didn't put the Paul Thomas Anderson movie on there just because we're not sure if it's going to get released this year because it hasn't even um, started casting yet. Or at least they, they haven't announced a, a cast or shooting date. So, you know, we're aware of it. We hope that if it is ready in time, we'll be excited for it. Obviously, it would have made our list if... We, we knew, knew for was, sure. Yeah. But, um, and there might be some other things that pop up that. Oh, um, there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure we're not even talking about that will announce itself at Sundance or Cannes that we didn't even have on the radar, um, until then. You know, like it's, it's one of those things where a lot of movies that when you, when you look at your best of list and then you look at the movies that you were anticipating the most from that year, they don't really always you know, sync, or at least they're the films that are canonical, right? Like you, the idea that, you know, you pick the big name filmmakers, you pick the movies that have word of mouth or have release dates. And then you find something like the farewell, which, you know, plays at Sundance and then becomes this big thing over the summer. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point. Like I just pulled up my best of 2019 list to see what wasn't on our most anticipated that, that made the cut here. So something like a beautiful day in the neighborhood um, which neither of us put on our, our most anticipated last year and ended up being one of my favorite films of the year and the decade. Um, something, I mean, Under the Silver Lake's a weird one because it did technically play can that year and didn't come out till the next year, right? Yeah. Um, so that was a weird one. Um, Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, the farewell you mentioned, Rocket Man, which came out a well, I wouldn't have been anticipating. Yeah, Rocket and I Man. think we were also again burnt um, out because of yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Uh, Marriage Story, even we didn't yeah. put on our uh, list because Bombback is kind of one of those guys that does go under the radar. I find sometimes. he does, yeah, which um, sometimes works to the filmmaker's advantage. Yeah, right? High Flying Bird, which was a, a pleasant surprise for me last and year. a nice surprise early Hustlers, on. Cats. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the other thing as well. Like sometimes when you get a movie, you know, in February or March that is really, really good, it also helps sustain you through the coming months because there is this thing that, you know, only the good movies come out in, you know, October to December, but that's not always the case. I feel last year specifically, there was a lot of great stuff that came out in the first six months of 2019. Yeah. No, I totally agree, man. And even me this year with... I mean, spoilers for our Bad Boys review. 
um that was such a pleasant surprise to me and like i don't think that that would have never made my most anticipated films of the year uh, and it might not even make your your your, your best top, of 20 yeah. 20 but in terms of just being you know a january release that actually is entertaining and you know works to a certain degree it it makes it all worthwhile because like right now as i, I was just talking in the last episode you know with movies like underwater like a boss um, do little. These movies are all films that basically are the definition of a January release. Yeah, where Bad Boys for Life weirdly feels like it could have been released in May or June of this year and would have done well there as well. Like we're basically getting the summer preview now. Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> so, anyways, twenty twenty is off to a good start at least with Bad Boys, and I'm very excited for these films that we listened. So, or listened. I can't speak today. Uh, listed. Uh, thank you all for listening uh i don't know where i was gonna go with that we'll be back next week with a another regular episode um if you guys like this uh eric and i also do shorter slightly more professional reviews uh where you guys can check out our reviews for films like bad boys for life as well as Doolittle. uh those are the only two january releases i've seen so far our first two but lay miz is also getting a release and you can go back to our tiff roundup and uh listen to it i think it's in our first block because it was our first movie we saw yes during the festival lodge uh lee's movie yeah which is uh quite good actually so you guys definitely check that out um so that's on the untitled movie reviews um as always my name is uh, my name i cannot oh, wow you are tongue-tied and we got more to record after this my name is matt Rohrbeck. you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all of the social medias at matt Rohrbeck. i'm usually bumming around letterboxed and Twitter. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene, and on the social medias at EM6211, specifically uh, Letterbox and Twitter. We also have a uh, untitled uh, underscore cast nailed it uh instagram account that you can go to and twitter and also if you want to um like or rate us or comments feel free to and and also i mean do we have a a, an email address for for questions or comments we don't but you can always tweet stuff at us yeah if you you want to like ask us like questions like to answer at the end of the show please you know feel free to either if you follow us and dm us or or just you know reach yeah. out and say like hey what do you think about this or you know would you ever want to cover this on the show so or yeah. even we should pose questions sometimes i had a lot of fun when we listed everyone's best of the decade lists as well that thank you everyone who who sent in lists for that that was really cool so maybe uh and i see those popping off on twitter a lot a lot of on film twitter you get those kind of like if you were i don't know like if you lost your arm, what I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what would be your favorite movie? But I'm yeah, I mean, I but... we don't we don't mention it enough, and maybe I should kind of really reinforce this at the end of every episode. But if yeah, if you guys want to, you know, rate us uh, and 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 Please give do. us a review on on iTunes, that, that really helps, helps us most, a lot, yeah. and we really appreciate it. And Eric know, and I obsess over our chart uh, rankings, and and we've been inconsistent lately, so we uh, we've kind of fallen off a little bit. Yeah. But we yeah. don't we don't usually talk about this at the end of the show, no, and I please, feel like we yeah. should just mention it, you know, yeah, when at we the can. beginning and end. Please rate yeah. us, share yeah. with your friends, Spotify. I don't know if it has a rating system or Google, but the one that I use and subscribe, obviously. ITunes, but tell your friends. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode, uh, and until next time, we're bad boys for life.
I'll try to speak properly next week.